Thanks for tuning into your weekly Stacker Chat. This is an update on all things Stacks. My name is Gina Abrams, and I'm joined by Muni Bali, Stacks founder. Stacks is smart contracts for Bitcoin, and Stacks mainnet launched earlier this year. Thanks for being here, Muni, and thanks to the folks in the community that shared some questions. We're going to share a lot of them today and cover more in the future. Um, but one thing that's probably top of mind for developers building on Stacks is how to prevent hacks, especially with the new smart contract language clarity. Can you share some recommendations for developers or any takeaways that you're seeing in this domain? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the, the best way to think about uh, clarity is that it's a decidable language, uh, meaning that you know if you, if you think of Turing complete languages as like this big uh, circle where um, anything is possible and you can you can basically write any type of program. Decidable language are slightly smaller subset of that, right? So on a, on a practical uh, level, you can pretty much write any smart contract that you want to, uh, but you are restricted in like some special ways, right? And those restrictions actually help a lot with security analysis, like if you want to do formal verification of your programs, and, and it's basically tremendously reduces the attack vector of the type of stuff you could do wrong, right? So, so think of that as like, you know, just, just by using clarity, your attack surface is lower. That does not mean that your, um, your contracts are not going to have bugs or other types of problems, right? So I think sometimes people confuse that, that they, they, they'll be thinking that, oh, because I'm using clarity, it is safer, um, you know, my, my contract is not going to have any problems. That's, that's not the case, right? Like, uh, your attack surface is, is, is smaller. You, the, uh, think of this as like, there might be certain mistakes that you will uh, unknowingly make while writing Solidity code. And there are less chances of making those mistakes because they're just not possible uh, in, in clarity. But that doesn't mean that your code is not going to have bugs and there are not going to be other types of security issues, right? So well, the first thing is to be very clear about that. Uh, there will always be a need for getting uh, security audits, uh, peer reviews on your code. And interestingly, so at Hero, the dev tooling company in the ecosystem, we're actually working on um, some ways to uh, help developers debug their programs as well. Right? So one of the nice, nice features of Clarity is that you can actually know uh, even before executing a program, that what the program is, is is going to do, right? So you can actually do a lot more testing. You can even automate certain types of uh, checks on on these uh, contracts even before you publish the code, right? So you're going to start getting those benefits. But we should keep in mind that the Stacks ecosystem, when Stacks only launched this year, um, is still relatively small, which means that there are relatively less number of people who can do security audits for you, and even in terms of tooling, like I think there's a long way to go. Uh, for clarity tooling uh, down the road, where we will have like much easier ways to do like formal verification and, and so on. So uh, we should we should keep that in mind as well. That right now uh, we are still at an early stage of the project, so maybe it'll be a little bit harder for people to go and get you know uh, security audits and so on. So people should should uh, plan accordingly. Absolutely. And we've seen some amazing community collaboration in that regard, which has been really incredible. Um, and one question that we um, have is 
also around scalability. So there's been a ton of updates recently, especially with SIP 12 going live. Um, but I'm curious about um, what is the timeline that we might expect for subnets implementation? There's a lot of excitement around that. Yeah, so subnets is the main work that I'm focused on. I know that uh, Jude at the Stacks Foundation is working on app chains, which is a slightly different type of a scalability solution. But one thing to keep in mind is um, because Clarity is, is pretty much like general purpose, any type of scalability solution that you might have heard of, like, you know, there are rollups in the Ethereum world, there are fraud proofs like uh, Arbitrum style uh, that are being worked on in the Ethereum ecosystem. All of those scalability solutions are possible in Stacks and, and in Bitcoin, right? So the way to think about this is Bitcoin is the money layer, Stacks is the programming layer, and now we are working on some of the scalability layers, right? So subnets is one type of scalability. Uh, Rollups are another, fraud proofs are, are, are another. And, and right now, uh, I, I'm... I'm really excited about subnets because I think that's the most obvious, most practical thing to work on right now, right? And obviously, the door remains open for other types of scalability solutions as well. And let me let me explain what I mean by the most practical, most obvious, obvious thing to do is, uh, is subnets in, in my view. And the reason for that is that if you look at a lot of the newer L1s, uh, you know, if you look at Solana, if you look at you know some some other uh, systems like Definity, or there they're basically one trade-off that uh, those people have made. Uh, they have increased the node requirement for, uh, for the miner, right? So for example, on Stacks, anyone can run on a Raspberry Pi and be a miner, be a, be a full node, right? You, you can't do that on a Definity or a Solana. And the second thing is that the way the consensus algorithm works is that they don't, they don't allow forks, right? So those, those chains can't really fork. And, and, you know, without getting into the details of what are the pros and cons for it, but that's how you get like really fast, really cheap transactions, right? So they're trade-offs. Uh, they're they're on, on a spectrum, they're more centralized and they don't benefit from, you know, the proof of work style Nakamoto consensus where force can happen and there's, there's a probability and automatic, uh, automatic healing that happens uh, with Nakamoto style consensus. And if something goes wrong, uh, the blockchain can automatically heal without any external party coming in and basically uh, resetting things or, or, or doing a hard fork, which we've seen happen multiple times th th this year in, in, in some of these systems, right? So with subnets, what we're doing is we're basically making similar trade-offs. Uh, the subnets are going to require miners to have more higher power nodes instead, instead of the requirements of, of stacks. And the consensus algorithm is going to be uh, a little bit different. Instead of getting, you know, probabilistic uh, finality, uh, maybe you will get instant finality. And if you get that, you will get really fast speeds and really low transaction fees, which is something that I think developers are going to like. But but the but the interesting thing in the Stacks ecosystem is that you will always have the option to go to the Stacks main chain. Like you can withdraw your assets to the Stacks main chain. That is heavily decentralized. And, and optimizes for anyone being a miner and anyone being able to kind of like participate in the ecosystem. So we kind of like will give you the best of the both worlds and subnets are kind of like the most obvious thing because it's actually from a technical perspective, pretty easy to kind of like increase centralization or the node requirements 
and make those trade-offs to just give you faster speeds. And, and I think, I think uh, uh, and then there are benefits to, to having you know, uh, high speeds, low transaction fees, clearly developers like it, users like it. So that's pr probably the most obvious thing to, to work on. And the timeline is, uh, I would say something like Q1, Q2. There is a design doc being worked on that might uh, come out even uh, before the holidays, before the end of the year. And then I think there will be a testnet that will certainly be there in Q1 and developers can start working against the testnet. And then we'll see when can the first subnet go live on mainnet, but Q1 to Q2 is, is, is the rough time. Great, thank you. Um, now pivoting a bit to stacking, can you share some thoughts on how stacking rewards might evolve, particularly in regards to changes with the Bitcoin to stacks pair in, in the future? Yes, so I think the stacking rewards, uh, there are a couple of inputs to it, right? One input is how many people are stacking. Uh, so if more people are stacking, the it's harder to get a reward slot, right? So your 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 percent rewards might actually go down. But that, it's not that simple, right? Because if more people are stacking, that also means that more STX is being taken out of the supply. So it might actually have some other effects on on the on the price, right? So I don't I don't I'm not a trader, right? I don't I don't like study things from a uh, pricing perspective, but uh, that's one input. That if if let's say right now around 400 million STX are locked, if this number goes up significantly, like you know 700 million, 800 million, uh, you will see more competition for slots. So your percent, you know rewards might actually go down but then it's an open question that what's going to happen because you're removing uh stx from the supply right so how is that going to impact the trading uh, markets and because this it's going to become more scarce right? and the second input is the stx ptc pair right which uh obviously stacks is relatively new and you know, Stacks has been appreciating against the Bitcoin pair, generally speaking. Like if you look at the, uh, the long term, and if the ecosystem keeps growing, you know, one could argue that the STX could appreciate more against Bitcoin. And if it does, uh, then the reward slots become more valuable. Right? Meaning that if you if you if you the way I model these reward slots is I basically look at the uh, almost like the dollar value of a slot. Uh, earlier this year, the dollar value of a slot was roughly $600. And these days it's roughly $900, right? And I think if if STX actually like maintains against BTC um, and Bitcoin appreciates, you'll see the, the dollar value go up, right? We have seen dollar values uh, above $1,000 per slot as well, right? So this is the case where STX maintains its value against Bitcoin. If it appreciates, like it can... You know the dollar value can go up faster, and obviously, if STX drops against Bitcoin or Bitcoin drops, there's just a crash in the markets. These are very volatile things. Then you'll see the dollar value per slot kind of like go down, right? But but generally speaking, in in in, in your models, uh, Stacks is relatively new. So either you know there is going to be a ton of applications and users uh, who want to use this decentralized network and use it, and you know the network becomes more valuable or Kind of like you know, people don't want to use a Bitcoin application. This, in my mind, is more like a Boolean thing. But either Bitcoin apps are going to happen, and they're going to be a very large market for Bitcoin apps, or people are not interested in Bitcoin applications. So th that's kind of like the the long term uh, view of, of it. And then the last thing is actually the gas fees, right? The more the network gets used, and there is a lot of gas fees, um, the 
the rewards actually go up, which is a very interesting economic uh, setup, I feel, because what it, what it means is that people uh, who are long-term believers in stacks, uh, they're kind of like, their model is that if the network gets a lot of usage, I will earn more Bitcoin on my long-term holdings, which, which I think is a very interesting incentive alignment, which basically means that everyone wants more developers, more applications, more actual usage of the network. And I think that's the right incentive to, to, to have in place uh, for a right now Great, thank you. Um, and so right now, there's a small amount of Bitcoin that is burned during the stacking cycle. Can you elaborate on why that is um, and when that burn would decrease and any thoughts on how proof of transfer, the stacking uh, consensus algorithm might evolve? Yeah, so there, there are two things there. One is that there's a prepare phase. Um, I forget exactly how many blocks it is, maybe 100 uh, blocks or 150 blocks, somewhere in that range. Um, so the prepare phase is effectively uh, the protocol is getting ready for the next cycle. And you're deciding like what's the sequence of the reward addresses that should be used, right? And there are some security potential problems where um, you can't really give rewards during the prepare phase. I don't want to go into the details. There, the details are on GitHub. Maybe we can we can link it in the video. But think of that is that it's a potential security attack vector. That while you're deciding who should get the rewards, no should no one should be getting the rewards during that time. So it's like roughly anywhere between I think 100 blocks to 150 blocks. We can confirm and put that information in the in the notes as well. So that's the prepare phase, and that over there you're you're burning, right? You're burning Bitcoin, but relatively speaking, like you know, uh, reward slots are roughly you know uh, two thousand uh, two thousand blocks or so. So it's a fairly small percent of the burn. The rest of the burn actually comes from if the reward slots are not full, meaning that you know we have like roughly four hundred something million stacks locked up, and there is there are all of like weird cutoffs, right? Like if someone has like, you know, 50,000 stacks uh, and they're, or, or that's a bad example. If somebody has like 130,000 stacks, um, they're, the way the cutoff works for the minimum level, like there's inefficiency in the system. So some people have stacks, but they're not actually claiming a full slot, right? And I think this problem will tend to go away as more people are stacking, right? So you will likely see less slots going empty. An empty slot is a burn, right? So that, that that thing in my mind probably just goes away uh, with more efficient use of how, how the slotting will work. Um, and and the, the burn that is happening during the prepare phase, I think that's something that will probably remain there, but it's, it's, it's a fairly small percent of the of the overall uh, slots, right? So that's that, that I don't see that as a, as a big problem. Another question uh, which is related that I get is, some people uh, see in the old kind of like PUX white paper, by the way, uh, PUX old white paper like needs to be almost like rewritten. Like I, I think this is something uh, hopefully we can get to next year. And same with the stacks white uh, 2.0 paper. I think it's like Slack's 2.0 paper is still somewhat uh, relevant, but the PUX one is fairly outdated uh, at this point. So in that paper, you'll see that there is a uh, sunset window that after eight years, PUX was originally, uh, you know, uh, planned to slowly phase out, right? And the reason there was again a theoretical attack vector 
that a bunch of developers were more concerned about before, before Stack 2.0 actually launched. Right? Now we have a lot of real data from the real, real network. And a lot of people, including me, are much less concerned about that potential security uh, attack vector, right? So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that um, eight-year phase-out phase is actually removed uh, through through some sort of asset process, but that that is still to happen. It hasn't happened yet. It is the default, but I wouldn't be surprised just because that attack vector just turned out not not being a big deal in, in, in the real world once the network was actually deployed. Uh, so that's that's again a question that sometimes comes up when someone discovers. Not a lot of people know about this. When someone discovers that, hey, after eight years, like you know, this is going to get phased out. The answer is, well, there's likely going to be a SIP, and you can participate in that SIP. But the original motivation for why that was there turned out to be not not that big a deal. Great, thank you. Um, last question: What do you view to be the tipping point for stacks? So I I think the Tipping point for me is really when uh, Bitcoin capital starts to get deployed. Right? As I said, like Bitcoin is the money layer, Stacks is the programming layer. And if you look at any ecosystem, right, um, the amount of economic activity happening, meaning capital being deployed into smart contracts, into DAOs, into NFT marketplaces, it's, it's contained within the market cap of the project. So Ethereum has like, you know, $500 billion of capital to deploy, and maybe 20 25% of that is actually being deployed into smart contracts, which is, which is great. If you look at Stacks right now, Stacks has a $3, 4000000000 billion market cap, and we, we are seeing like $1.1, $1.2 billion being deployed into smart contracts, right? So interestingly, the key thing to understand about Stacks is that Stacks is actually not limited by the market cap of Stacks, the programming layer. It is limited by the market cap of the money layer, which which is Bitcoin, and that is a trillion dollars. Right? But I don't think that the full piping is there yet. I think it's people are building these things, and it's some like it's in the pipeline. But the full liquidity of Bitcoin is not plugged in to the smart contracts yet. Right? Imagine when it will become super easy to just do a Bitcoin transaction, and you are providing liquidity to a stablecoin, or you're participating in a lending lending pool, or you're um, basically participating in the NFT market, right? So that that's a major unlock, and I think I think for me um, that that could be a tipping point. Like in terms of uh, what I'm personally thinking about next year, what is obviously speed, right? So subnets, and we want. Fat, really fast speeds, low transaction fees. And I think that's there, there's no magic there, right? Like these blockchains have basically made some design trade-offs and, and those things are actually easier to do than the kind of stuff we have we've built so far, right? It's actually fairly relatively easy to have a more centralized, high-powered uh, mining nodes and just give you fast speeds. And I think, I think we'll, 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 we plan to just do that with, with some nets. So that's the first thing. The second thing is going to be the Bitcoin pipeline. Uh, which is going to be super interesting, right? So how can you have uh, really good Bitcoin liquidity, these primitives and programming primitives, uh, even on, from the UX level, right? How can we plug in a lot of uh, Bitcoin wallets, Bitcoin uh, liquidity into the stacks, uh, clarity contracts and, and the different applications built on top. And I think um, the, the, at least for me and Hero, that's going to be a big focus uh, for, for next year. 
Great. Well, thank you so much. And thanks again to the community members that um, shared some questions. Um, and thanks to everyone who's already subscribed to the Hero YouTube channel. If you're not yet, please make sure you are to stay up to date on all things Stacks. Thanks, Winnie. See you next week. Thanks, everyone.